Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, April 26, 2021. It has been 193 days since Tony nominations were announced. I'm Broadway Radio's Matt Tamanini. And I'm arts and culture writer Ashley Steves. Ashley, we're going to have a little bit of an unusual episode uh, today, kind of like we did on Thursday. We have... Um, a bunch of Scott Rudin news to get to, like we do <laughs> yeah. every day. You we finally used to have, made it to an episode that's I know. Scott Rudin. Well, this is my second. Yeah, we we used to have the Hamill sections. Now we've got the Rudin sections. <laughs> so we're going to start off with that. But then I had a lovely conversation with uh, the phenomenal Ali Ewalt talking about Broadway by the Year, which is going to have three concerts streaming here beginning tonight, Monday, April 26th. So we will have that at the back end of the show. But before we get into the news, I wanted to remind everybody that on This Week on Broadway, which is currently in your podcast feed, if you're listening on Patreon, it's already there. They spoke with uh, Nicholas King um, on, uh, on Sunday, and he's a... Uh, a crooner and a singer and an actor and, and stuff. And James, uh, so we're recording a little earlier, and James told me he had they had a phenomenal conversation, like um, one that they, he was kind of surprised at how well um, it went. He was he said he had a lot of nice that stories nice. and he was super charming. Yeah, he's so. lovely. He's very charming. I would imagine you know him from the cabaret world. I've seen him a few times at Birdland. Yeah, for sure. He's very, very, cool. very good. Very good. Well, check out that um, interview on This Week on Broadway in Patreon and in uh, the regular feed, depending on um, when and where you are listening to this. All right, Ashley, let's get into the news. And as I said, we have a ton of Rudin stuff to get to, unfortunately or fortunately. The biggest part of the news dump this weekend came from the New York Times. Um, it was a an article co-written by Michael Paulson and Kara Buckley. And I'm going to kind of run through some of the major points from this article. But the biggest one is the fact that Rudin uh, confirmed in a statement to the Times that he would be resigning from the Broadway League. Um, he said, quote, I am doing the work to become a better person and address my issues. Beyond that commitment, anything else would be far too early to contemplate. So, we have talked about this before, Ashley, the idea that equity could um, put him mm-hmm. on the no work list didn't right. seem to be legally viable because of the agreement that equity has part of the collective bargaining agreement yeah. with the that Broadway was, League. That was supposed to be till September 2022, right? Cor- correct. So instead of the Broadway League moving to remove Rudin, Rudin has instead removed himself from the Broadway League. I think when we were texting about this, when it came out on Saturday, Ashley, you and I both had the same kind of thought at the same time. And that was that Scott (laughs) Rudin did the right thing before the Broadway League did, which shouldn't surprise anybody. But James kind of followed up on our text thread and said, uh, and kind of made crystallize the thing that I was kind of assuming all along based off of of Rudin's statement is that Rudin is doing this so that he could potentially get back in later. If he is expelled from the Broadway league, um, if there's probably, there's probably some mechanism to which he can still regain membership, but it is much less likely if, if the league has to give him the old heave ho, um, without him doing it voluntarily. I think it would be a 0% chance that the Broadway league did it. So I'm sure they had some kind of conversation. And what my, what my assumption is, is that this is going to be a situation where he, you know, quote unquote works on his behavior, you know, going through anger management or whatever the hell he's going to do. And then, as you said, like, because the Broadway league didn't kick him out, 
out and he's the one who took ownership of the situation kind of uh, barely yeah. uh then once he works, you know, does whatever work the Broadway League yeah. deems as acceptable, then they could say, well, he put the work in, he can come back now. And that's, you know, I have very, very mixed feelings about that. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think that you and I are both people who, because we've talked about this a lot, a lot over the past few years on this show, that we are all for people getting second chances and making up for their mistakes and learning from the things that they've done wrong. The issue with this is, is that I don't actually believe Scott Rudin is going to do that. And, no. And, and here's the thing, like. I think a lot of people who do stuff like this, I don't think they recognize the the extent to which their toxicity and abuse actually impacts not. others. So I think that there is a world in which Scott Rudin is actually sorry for the impact. I don't think that he's sorry for the fact that he caused it and believe, behaved the way he did. But I, I can imagine a world in which he feels badly about the pain that he's caused to a certain degree. But I don't mm. think it's enough for him to actually... I guess what I'm saying is, is that he's probably a human being. I don't think that he is actually like... That's a bold claim. I know. <laughs> I don't think that he's actually like a demonic monster sent to Earth in human form mm. to spread evil. I, I would not be surprised if he does feel badly. But I but I think the most important thing in this situation is, is that even if he does feel badly about some of this stuff now, especially as it's been brought to the public light, I think that that is so far outweighed by the fact that he is um, hurt and upset by the impact that it is having on him. Absolutely. He is less interested yes. in the impact that he had on others, even if he is, to a certain extent, worried about the impact that he had on others. It is all about the impact that it has on him. Yeah, and I, don't... I just, I just don't feel like, dude, you've got enough money. Go, you've yeah. got millions of dollars. Just go away. Live your life. If you want to invest in stuff, fine, invest in stuff, but just stay away. I absolutely agree with that. And I don't think it has anything to do with him feeling bad about whatever pain or abuse he's inflicted. I, you know, it's a no duh statement, but it's an ego thing. Like now, because of all this, and again, as we keep talking about, like there have been stories for decades about this, that he's a terrible person and terrible to work for. Like he was called the most terrible person to work for, like, uh, I want to say seven years ago and another profile. So that's not anything new. And like to expect him to rehabilitate himself now is it feels really obtuse to me, but it's an ego yeah. thing. And you know, to in a, in a different category, as far as we know, like he watched what happened publicly with Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. And now as another producer, like, uh, that's rightfully so. That's always what's going to be attached to Harvey Weinstein. Doesn't matter what other work he's done. Now Scott Rudin is seeing his own downfall, hopefully downfall in a way that his name is only going to be associated with that. So he's yeah. looking at it as a chance, I'm sure, to re rehabilitate himself in whatever way. Again, leave before the Broadway League kicks him out, you know you can't fire me, I quit kind of thing, uh, <laughs> and have the opportunity to come back and maybe not have that associated with his name forever. That's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah, some of the other things that popped up in this New York Times story is uh, Rita Wilson, 
who is the first real celebrity, Hollywood celebrity, at least to put her name on anything um, Scott Rudin related. Mm. She talked about the situation that she was in when she did Fish in the Dark, the Larry David play on Broadway, and had to leave the production because she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she talked about the fact that Rudin made her go through a series of tests to prove that she was as sick as she said that she was. Um, <sighs> and, and in the story, she says, quote, um, Rudin was the kind of person who makes someone feel worthless, unvaluable, and replaceable. Um, Rita Wilson, who, of course, this past week was the guest judge on uh, The Masked Singer. But that, I mean, neither here oh, nor there. of course, um, yeah. And, what, she, what she's best known for. Yes, and that interview I did with her about six years on Broadway World. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> So that's a great story. We have that in there. Um, also, Barry Diller and David Geffen, his billionaire co-producers, um, are quoted in there. His former collaborator, Robert Fox, who has um, not mm-hmm. worked with him in a decade because they fell out. He said basically what you were saying, Ashley. I don't believe anyone could put their hand up and say they weren't aware that he treated his staff really yeah. badly. No yeah. doubt. Um, some other things that came out over this weekend. Um, Vulture basically brought in half of its writing team to work on a piece entitled oh Scott <laughs> Rudin, as told by his assistants, a portrait of a toxic workplace. They basically did an oral history of the entire life cycle of working for Rudin. It's a long read. And actually I was texting you and Grace back and forth yeah. as I was reading it. And I was like, holy shit, like I'm halfway through right. uh, talking about everything and all of the micro and macro aggressions that he exhibited on his, um, uh, on, on his staff. It, it was there one that <sighs> stood out to you. We don't need to get into all of them, but like, is there one that stood out to you? I mean, it's all disgusting and makes your skin crawl. The thing that sticks out to it, I think, stuck out to a lot of people. Stuck out to a lot of people was the soup story about the one assistant who would have <laughs> that, that, all that the soups from Hale and Hardy. Yeah, and he was he was on Twitter too. People being like, uh, "I want to hire this person." It's like soup yeah. soup is expensive. You'll make a mistake. Uh, you, like you can't afford me. But yeah, that's that stuck out to me. The whole thing made my skin crawl. I mean, props to Vulture. <laughs> One for putting this out at nine o'clock on a Friday night, which is really incredible to me, but also just the, the amount of work that went into this. And again, yeah. like looking at this, looking at this from, I'm assuming story, very, very recent stories, plus stories from you know, however many years ago, like I, I can't read something like that and think this is someone who can genuinely be rehabilitated. Right. I agree. I agree. Um, there were some other, like, actual news news stuff that came out in the Scott Rudin fiasco. Um, it was reported first by the Los Angeles Times that Scott Rudin will no longer be a producer of the To Kill a Mockingbird tour. There has not been any confirmation on whether or not he will still be involved financially, as we've talked about before. I don't know how, unless he voluntarily gives up his stake, I don't know how you do that. Like, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, we don't. I, I don't know. Um, the other one is is that um, Scott Rudin will no longer be involved with uh, NY Pops Up, um, which has been kind of an ongoing thing that as these performances have um, kind of begun at the exact same time that all of this uh, conversation has been happening. The fact that he was one of the leading producers behind the uh, programming festival. Uh, now he's not. So everyone can feel better and they can retract their claws and stop going after the people who are just trying to get some work Mm. um, for being a part of those. 
Yeah, I've got nothing to add. That's 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 all I feel about Scott Rudin. Just, yeah. I'm glad I'm glad he's as out of it as what seems like is possible. So now I want to hear again from Equity. Like yeah. that's the that's the next step for the Broadway community because we're never going to hear from the league apparently ever in any situation. But I think everyone is waiting for Equity, especially as like you know we just saw the march last week. Everyone is expected to pay their dues now. So what's next? Yeah, I imagine I imagine what we will hear from the Broadway League is when and if Scott Rudin actually does officially resign. I assume we will hear that kind of just a press release saying he's right. officially yes. no longer a member. Yes. And I wouldn't be surprised if Equity waits until that happens. But very possible. Again, like I wish Equity was more proactive about these things rather than reactive. And this is an opportunity sure. for them to do so. So we will see if that happens. All right, Ashley, before we get into my interview with the always wonderful Allie Ewalt, let's take a real quick break to talk about our sponsor for this week, Upstart. Speaking of, you were talking about dues, and it's time for equity members to pay their dues. A lot of people, whether they are equity members or union members or have been out of work for the past year or have just kind of been scraping by, are looking at their credit card monthly statements and trying to figure out how that they can get out of the endless cycle of debt. Well, Upstart is here and they can help you finally get caught up and eventually get ahead. For sure. This year, this past year has been an absolute financial nightmare, including for me personally. So with Upstart, it's a fast and easy way that you can pay off your debt with a personal loan and you can do it all online. So if you've taken out credit cards, you've got other consolidated high interest debt, you've got personal expenses. Over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. They just, they don't look at just your credit score. They look at your income and your employment history and it takes about five minutes to get a rate check between $1,000 to $50,000. And you receive those funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan because you want that money quick. Yes, absolutely. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash broadway. That's upstart, U-P-S-T-A-R-T dot com slash Broadway. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash Broadway. All right. So now it's time to turn it over to me uh, and Ali Ewalt. I had a wonderful conversation. She is, we talk about her quite a bit on here because she's <laughs> always doing something. Yeah. And she's busy, just, busy, busy. Yeah. She's just lovely. We talked about the town hall concerts, which I think, as I mentioned in our first question, like everybody pretty much knows about Broadway by the year at town hall. Um, it's one of those staples in the theater community. This year, though, they are doing something different. So she will explain all about that. We talk about her being very active during the pandemic um, we talk about briefly discuss the um, the issues that the Asian American community has seen and how she hopes that the Broadway community and the theater community can react to those and then Ashley we talk about something that you will very much enjoy you I mentioned, think yeah. we talk about um, if she could program a fourth concert in this Broadway by the year um, series this spring, what it would be. I think you will be very interested mm. in hearing that one. Okay. So now without further ado, here is my interview with Ali Ewald. 
So we are here, Allie, to talk about uh, Broadway by the year. And I think a lot of theater fans are very familiar with what Broadway uh, by the year has done at the town hall for years now. But this is a kind of a different approach um, over the next few weeks or next you know, about month to what they normally do. Can you explain exactly how these three concerts are going to be different from what they've done in the past? Sure. So, um, so Scott Siegel decided this time, since we're doing things virtually and, you know, it's a different time to mix things up a bit. Um, and so this time, the Broadway by the Year concerts will be featuring uh, different composers on three different uh, performance times and evenings. Uh, Cole Porter, Kendra and Ebb, and Andrew Lloyd Webber. So each concert will feature, you know, um, a lot of the works of these amazing writers. And I think unsurprisingly, if you list out those three uh, composers and or teams, um, not surprisingly that you are going to be a part of the Andrew Lloyd Webber concert, which happens on <laughs> May 24th through the 26th. But there are, and we'll get to that one because obviously we want to talk about that, but like there's some incredible folks that are going to be a part of the first two concerts, um, Danny Gardner, uh, Emily Larger, Lily Cooper, uh, Alex Gemignani, Beth Level, Tony Asbeck, yada, yada, yada. So many incredible people. Um, since you are going to be a part of this last one, is there somebody or some song or anything about those first two concerts that you are especially looking forward to seeing or perhaps maybe even have already seen? I haven't seen anything yet, but I'm so excited um, for all of them. I mean, these are performers that, you know, that I've admired their work for, for many, many years. And some of whom I've had the great fortune of working with, like Alex Gemignani. We got to do the first Les Mis revival together. And I find that every time he interprets the song, it's fresh and new and exciting and in a way that I've never heard before. So he's doing the Cole Porter concert and I can't wait to hear him. And um, of course, you know, Best Level is doing the Kendra and Ebb years. And mm-hmm. I don't know her personally, but I'm a huge <laughs> fan of everything that she does. And again, you know, just the sort of fresh interpretations of songs that we've heard before, I think will be really thrilling. Growing up, were you a musical theater kid growing up? I I assume that you were. And and if so, like, what were the types of shows and writers and composers that you most gravitated towards? I I sort of was and wasn't a musical theater kid. I was absolutely in love with musical theater from a young age. I grew up um, about 45 minutes north of New York City. And so was very fortunate to have have exposure to Broadway at an early age. Um, I had two amazing aunts who lived in Queens who would take us to see Broadway shows. Um, and I happened to go to this amazing public high school, Pleasantville High School, um, where our teacher, Dr. Delatino, uh, really loved um, musical theater and made the one big musical a year, sort of the event of the entire town. Um, everybody would get involved. So many people were in the ensemble or the, or the crew or parents getting involved. And he really loved um, the classics. So I think sort of through him, I developed such a respect for Rodgers and Hammerstein, um, for, you know, West Side Story and Brigadoon, The Learner and Lowe and um, Sondheim and and just like, you know, these these really, really tremendous musicals. He instilled in us such a great respect um, for the art form. Um, and thankfully, you know, as a, as a legit singer for almost my entire life, um, <laughs> I love, love singing stuff from that era. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that seems to track pretty well. Um, well <laughs> that, and that also translates obviously into, uh, the Andrew Lloyd Webber stuff, which will, as again, will be the third of the three concerts in, uh, this series this spring. Um, I think unsurprisingly, I think a lot of people would assume there's, um, a decent chance that you'll be doing something from Phantom, but are you able to talk about anything else specifically that you are actually doing in this show? 
Um, I, it is it is a very good guess that I might be singing something um, from Phantom, <laughs> and it's actually um, going going to be a duet. I don't think this spoils anything. I think this okay. makes it exciting um, with the amazing Max von Essen, oh, yeah, um, who I oh yes, I have had the great fortune of working with him both in that that Les Mis revival that we did with Alex Gemignani, mm-hmm. um, and we did a production of West Side Story in Pittsburgh, um, and we just got to do virtually um, from our yeah. homes uh, a production of Meet Me in St. Louis with yeah. the Irish rep. And so the fact that Max and I, you know, have had this beautiful history together. Oh, we also did a concert of Secret Garden. <laughs> it's, right. it's been really, really a wonderful journey for our friendship and in getting to perform. And so we're really excited um, to get to sing a, a classic phantom duet together um, for this special concert. Well, and all of these concerts and all of these songs are being recorded uh, virtually. So how does that work as you are doing a duet with somebody? Are you recording one per you know, record to a track and you both kind of put them together and with videos? Or how does that work when you're trying to collaborate with somebody, but you're not able to be in the same room? To be honest, I'm not entirely sure. I've done it a bunch um, before where we have done, you know, we one records at a time and we, you know, somebody will sing first and then the other person will sort of be able to match that person's phrasing and dynamics and emotion and all of that. Um, but Max and I have been talking about, you know, trying to potentially find a way to um, sort of expand that. We're both thankfully fully vaccinated now. Oh, and great. so we're trying to explore some options of potentially being on a rooftop where we can still be spaced and, and we know that we'll be safe, um, but we'll actually get to look into each other's eyes. Cause I think that that's, you know, that's what's been so absent during this time, right, is how, how we can actually collaborate in real time. So we're not quite sure if that's going to be um, an appropriate and safe option yet, but we're, we're trying, trying to look into something so that can, we can really feel like we get to sing together. No, that's great. I hadn't realized that it hadn't been done yet because the, the first concert actually um, starts on Monday, the 26th of April and runs through the 28th. Again, yours is the third, so it's still a month away. So you have time. I just didn't realize that it hadn't been done. So that's really exciting that we might actually get a legit IRL performance from the two of you. Oh, goodness. I hope so. I hope I'll knock on wood for you. Make that make that happen. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, there's a ton of other really incredible people involved in the Andrew Lloyd Webber concert as well. The incredible immortal Liz Calloway, Ethan Slater, uh, Emily Larger, Danny Gardner, uh, and others. Obviously, with your connection to Phantom, you know the work of Andrew Lloyd Webber really well. But is there another song or show of his that you uh, really enjoy or really connect to? Or is there a song that resonates with you or anything like that from his very, very extensive repertoire? Oh my goodness, there's so many. You know, I remember getting to see a production of Jesus Christ Superstar when I was very young and totally falling in love with that and all of that incredible music and just sort of the artistry of of the performers that, you know, get to sing all of that incredible music. Um, I love Avita. I, I got to do a, a small summer stock production once at Forsberg Playhouse in upstate New York. <laughs> I was in the ensemble. Um, and <laughs> I remember just, you know, standing in the aisles. And of course, this was a barn without any air conditioning over and over again. <laughs> of singing Avita, Avita. But um, <laughs> the show is wonderful. And there's so much great stuff from that and Sunset Boulevard and um, and even, you know, sort of the, the lesser um, 
the the trunk songs that have kind of come out of yeah. you know the shows that we don't know quite as well i think are, are so magical like unexpected song or love changes everything i think there's there's so much depth to his canon that's really exciting well you talked a little bit about some of the other things that you've done throughout this past year including meet me in st louis with uh with max at, at irish rep it seems like you've been able to keep yourself at least fairly busy between um different concerts and shows you did the the phantom again um uh, I don't even know what simulcast concert thing at Radio Park. <laughs> I don't even know how, how do you how how do you do you describe that? I don't even know. I think it's sort of I can sort of describe it as a hybrid, you know, partial live performance, partial um, movie, you know, drive-in movie theater showing of the concert version um, at Royal Albert Hall, and so it was, you know, a little a little bit of both, a little bit of live performance um, and a little bit of amazingly taped um, from live performance, um, and it was so great to actually get to do, you know, a couple of things in yeah. in person, and you know, people were in their cars or they were um, at picnic benches, and everything was socially distanced and safe but um but again sort of that feeling of i got to sing with Derek davis who had played the mm. phantom on tour and we were never terribly close to each other physically but at least i could see his eyes <laughs> i could see his phrasing and his body language and you know we got to, to sing together from from a safe distance well, like as I was saying before, I got so confused by what that, uh, how that actually worked. Um, but you seem to have been able to keep yourself at least somewhat busy. Obviously, probably not nearly as busy as you would have been um, had the pandemic not occurred. But between um, all of the concerts and the shows and that thing at Radio Park, um, it seems like um, you've you've been able to to at least flex the artistic muscles um, and vocal muscles uh, as well a, a little bit. But how has that year of of doing a little bit of what you normally do, but not exactly the same. How has that kind of changed your vision of what you uh, or, or how you feel about the work that you normally do in, you know, when the world is not completely upside down? Oh, I mean, it's it's been it's been a challenge. I, as you said, have been very, very fortunate to have actually gotten to do some, you know, some real performance um, activities are, they've all been a little bit different than, you know, how right. we would do yeah, it yeah. Um, when, when the world was, was back open. And I think that that's part of, you know, what I perhaps had taken for granted before was how amazing it is to get to collaborate with other artists and crew members and orchestra members and to have a live audience and sort of what what that audience brings to the art, you know, how it really is a dialogue between the performers on stage and the people that are there to experience it with us. You know, I think that um, I've really, really missed that during this time and, and everything that I've been able to do has been wonderful and I'm grateful for it, but I just, I just can't wait. I can't wait to sit in the theater and watch live performers and be part of that yeah. experience um, and really get to feel that kind of collective collaboration and empathy sharing and emotion. And I think we're all just going to weep when that actually happens again, just to, oh. just to get to experience everything um, in real time and, and together. Yeah, it's it's obviously been such a bizarre year from that respect. And it, for me, and I don't it's probably very different for you as a performer. But for me, it feels like both the longest, I guess, 13 months at this point um, of my life, but also the shortest, like it feels like it was just yesterday that we were starting the shutdown. But it also feels like it was a decade ago. It's been such a weird experience. And I don't know if that's just because I'm getting older or whatever. But it, it it's just been a weird way to look at the past 12, 13 months, knowing how different everything was and it seems like it's gone by in a blink of an eye but also been 
an incredibly painful slog to get through as well. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Our our concept of time is very is very strange and confused <laughs> right now. And I try to think, you know, what shouldn't I have acquired all these skills in this last year? What have I been doing with my time? But at the end of the day, you know, we're all just trying to survive. Like that is the that is the goal of the pandemic is both, you know, physically and, and mentally to try and stay in a place that is that is healthy so that we can make it through to the other side. And I think that that has has certainly been challenging and has also just completely messed with my sense of time. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. Yeah. Well, one of the other things that has been um, such a an important topic throughout this past year, in addition to everything going around with, with the pandemic, has been a lot of discussion about the need for the Broadway and theater communities in general to learn from this time off and to adapt to be more inclusive and representative. And you've been fairly outspoken, especially in the past month or to about um, the role of, of Asians and Asian Americans and, and the theater community and the hate and the violence that they are dealing with in the world around us. As you start to look towards what theater looks like when it does eventually reopen up, is there a lesson in that regard that you hope that the community, in quotes, because we know what all the different stakeholders are and how difficult that is, but is there something that you hope that they've learned from these 13 plus odd months off? Yeah, I mean, I just I hope I hope that we continue to push for change and we start to really realize how important it is to value diverse voices, diverse storytellers, you know, to really sort of make sure that all of the gatekeepers and the people in every aspect of the business um, are, are coming from, you know, different places where then we can celebrate what the world is, you know, we can really reflect um, what this country is that, that we're living in, in yeah. all of its complexity and all of its diversity. And I think that um, having this sort of moment to step away and, you know, very much a racial reckoning, I think, in this last year and, and an understanding of what it is, you know, that is important about the art that we're making. I think the thing that we're missing is this sense of collaboration and, and getting to share stories and creating empathy through that and how, you know, that is very much connected to making sure that we're not just telling the same stories over and over again from one perspective, but really that we're conscious of all of all of the voices that that need to be heard and celebrated. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, going back to this Broadway by the year set of concerts that are coming up starting here very shortly, less than a week away from the time we're recording and running through the end of May. Um, as we said, there's the Cole Porter years, the Kander Neb years and the Andrew Lloyd Webber years. If you could throw in a fourth composer and or composing team uh, to do this and you could personally pick the songs and if you want even the performers, but if you could program a fourth uh, concert in this series, is there somebody that would be at the top of your list to do that? Oh, goodness, everybody. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I have to say Sondheim just because I've, I mean, I've never actually... you don't actually... have to. You don't have to, but I, it's fine if you want to. <laughs> right, yes. In, in my gut, I feel, you know, it's... I was I was talking to a friend and and I've had such great fortune in getting to work with these amazing legends in our business. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I got to work with Andrew Lloyd Webber when I was doing Phantom as well as the amazing Hal Prince. Um, I got to work with Arthur Lawrence when I was doing the West Side Story Tour, um, mm -hmm. but I've never yet worked with the incredible Stephen Sondheim. So just even the idea that perhaps I could sing a song of his that he would maybe hear me sing <laughs> is, is sort of a dream that I'm just going to throw out to the universe and, and hopefully it will come true. I, that's a little surprising with how many times I know you've done West Side Story. He's known to show up in audiences. Like I'm surprised that he hasn't popped in to one of the multiple 
multiple productions of West Side Story that you've done over the years. If, if he has, he was very secretive about it. But um, <laughs> I feel like he would have he heard. Have been, he must have been busy. Yeah. I, think, I think we probably would have known. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, he's, he's got a lot of things on his plate, so I can, yeah. I can forgive him. I mean, priorities. <laughs> for not showing up at the random production I did in Mozambique or no. in Japan or, you know, all the places all over the world that I've done the show. <laughs> well, I will say that I did see you on the national tour and, and it was fantastic. I love that production. So I was there. I don't know where Steve was, but uh, I won't blame him for that, I suppose. <laughs> um <laughs> so if you did a Sondheim concert, whether you're involved, obviously we would want you to sing whatever song you want. But are, are there any other songs or or shows that you'd specifically like to throw into the mix for that theoretical hypothetical evening? Oh, goodness. I mean, so so many things I got to I did get to do um, forum at the Muni a few years ago and mm-hmm. um, singing singing that'll show him and lovely were were just so fun. It was it was a lovely departure no pun intended, to play Philia having, you know, just taken a break from playing Christine. They gave me a leave of absence at Phantom. And so the idea that I just got to smile um, and be happy (laughs) while singing a song was just this beautiful departure. Um, Obviously, you know, the the Green Finch and Lineford and and all of the, I don't know, there's just so many... So many shows of his. I recently watched, um, rewatched for maybe the fifth time, the best worst thing that ever could have happened. The of documentary course, yeah. about Merrily We Roll Along, and I just, I just love that show so much. I got to do it in college, and I've had a couple of significant moments in my life um, where I've gotten to sing um, our time at the end. Uh, it mm-hmm. was when I was in college. I, um, I went to Yale, and we had a big anniversary um, that ended up happening at the New Amsterdam and I was a sophomore in college and we happened to be doing Merrily and so we got to stand in the New Amsterdam all day long and watch all of these amazing Yale alums who had achieved so much perform on the stage and then we got to be the finale which was completely mind-blowing and I you know cried on the train home to New Haven (laughs) and then um I, a bit more than a year ago, um, we also sang that song at Hal's Memorial at the Majestic. Yeah. And again, it was with, you know, the most incredible performers, including members of the original cast and sort of the power, the power of that song and the power of, of all of these wonderful people singing it together was just so so moving and and so memorable for me i i feel like we've got to get jen tepper on the phone and get this booked for 54 below at some point because just having an ali ewald stephen sondheim concert it sounds like you've got it all planned and and i would be there i'd even pay for one of the booths in the back get the fancy seats for that one so uh that sounds wonderful oh that's fabulous we can even throw in i got to do a um a bit of evening primrose at um, a 54 below once and so to do that i mean because nobody ever does evening primrose no, that's but that's a, you know, a lovely little little pocket piece too so that would be fun i, I bet jen would enjoy that too <laughs> I, i'm sure she would she would absolutely love that so um so again your concert the andrew lloyd weber years as part of broadway by the year will happen on may 24th through the 26th that will obviously be streaming we will have all of the information um in the show notes and it kicks off on april 26th with the cole porter years and the Kinder and Ebb years uh, begins on May 10th. Allie, it's been uh, great to talk to you. I'm very much looking forward to not only your concert, but all three of these, and am very much um, looking forward to your concert at 54 Below and everything else that you have going on whenever uh, it is that live performances get back to uh, get back to the stage. Thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been lovely talking to you. You too. Have a great day. 
isn't Allie great? She's the absolute best. Um, don't forget that we will have a link to all of the Broadway by the Year information, including the schedule and how you can get tickets or subscribe to all three of the concerts in the show notes. So don't forget to check that out. Thank you, of course, for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt. Ashley, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at No, This is Ashley. Also, don't forget to head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio as well. Have a wonderful Monday, and we'll be back to talk to you tomorrow.